irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. Mike's and friends, he says what he wants, ain't holding nothing back. Got the LA Talk Radio. This is Max and Friends. I'm your host, Max Tucci. Welcome back to not only LA Talk Radio, but to whatever podcasting platform you're tuning into. <laughs> um, happy Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever day you're tuning in. I'm grateful you're here. You know, I've been saying that because this year, Max and Friends were 13 years on air. And for a long time, it was LA Talk Radio. Then we kind of morphed into being in cars. And then it kind of morphed into being even broader with apps. And then we turned into podcasting. But what's interesting is, is that I've been doing this now 13 years before podcasting was even a thing. And before internet radio was a thing. And I remember so vividly that when we did internet radio, publicists and managers were like, no, thank you. We're not sending our talent to you. And now they're like, can we bring our talent to you? And the word podcast didn't even exist. So um, my point is, is that when you find something that you're passionate and you love, continue to do it. Be true to who you are. I remember I was doing television. I hated television. It was like a lot to be in front of camera. And then also just to have um, people ridicule you. You know, I've been called everything from faggot to this to that to all those words that, you know, people love to say because hurt people like to hurt people. So for years, I had that struggle and that challenge and being on television and having people, you know, talk so much shit about me was kind of interesting um, because it kind of kept me in a closet for a long space and not the gay closet, but the closet of insecurity, the closet of fear, the closet of doubt, the closet of just really trying to figure out authenticity. And so for years, I was in that closet. As you all know, I love Ash Beckham. So we're going to play the hard equals hard uh, Ash Beckham TED Talk because it's really something that I want you all to digest. I have a guest coming on later who's going to share an amazing story, his story about coming out and about being an ex-youth pastor and about becoming the best version of you. And what does that mean? Diano Sutter will be with us in just a moment after we play the Ash Beckham. But, you know, going back to coming out of the closet and closets in general, it doesn't necessarily mean you're gay, as Ash is going to tell us. What is the closet you're in? Is it a closet of shame? Is it a closet that maybe you have cancer and you haven't told anyone? Is it a closet that maybe you cheated on your spouse and you want to have that hard conversation? Hard equals hard. And the one common thread we all have as humans as people as people experimenting and and loving this world that we're in is that we all want we have one common thread and the common thread is do you hear me do you see me and do i matter and it's validation so you know that here on max and friends i see you i hear you i love you you matter tweet me at max tucci instagram me at max tucci be part of the show be part of the conversation be part of the love and um be you you know it's who you do best do you. Um, later on, I'm going to talk about a friend of mine who really has been an impactful part of my life, Jackie, and we're going to do a little dedication to her. Uh, so right now here on Max and Friends, let's get ready. 
it's going to be a live class because we're doing the whole Ash Beckham. And then we're going to talk about being the authentic you and celebrating who you are, despite of who people think you are or who people expect you to be. Be you. Be cool. You remember back in the day, Calvin Klein had the you, the be fragrance. It was be a man, be a woman, be you, be you. Like Calvin Klein was out of his time when he was talking about that. And how cool were all those campaigns back then? It was celebrating humanity. So I celebrate you. I love you. I honor you. We're going to have a great show. Get ready for it. And listen to Ash Beckham right now. She's got over, gosh, I think over 10 plus million uh, views on her one TED talk, if not more. Um, she's been a friend here many times. She has a, a book that you know I love. And we'll have Ash back. I know you're going to love um, love to have her back. But Deanna's going to be here. He's going to share his story. I'll share some of my story. Share your story. Email me, max at maxtucci.com. Email me your story. And if you're in that closet and you want to come out, again, there's not a closet is a closet. And it's no place to live. But whatever your closet you're in and you need help, let us know. We'll see if we can get you know resources to help you. Speaking of resources, check out BetterHelp if you feel like you're going through a struggle and you want someone to talk to. They're a great outlet. They're on an app and they can link you up with someone who can have a conversation with you. Because at the end of the day, that's all we really want is a good conversation where someone says, I hear you, I see you, and you matter. All right, right now, Ash Beckham. And when we're back, Deanna Sutter is going to join us. Stay tuned to Max and Friends. But right now, Ash Beckham. Hit it, Ronan. I'm going to talk to you tonight about coming out of the closet. And not in the traditional sense, not just the gay closet. I think we all have closets. Your closet may be telling someone you love her for the first time, or telling someone that you're pregnant, or telling someone you have cancer, or any of the other hard conversations we have throughout our lives. All a closet is, is a hard conversation. And although our topics may vary tremendously, the experience of being in and coming out of the closet is universal. It is scary, and we hate it, and it needs to be done. Several years ago, I was working at the Southside Walnut Cafe, a local diner in town. And during my time there, I would go through phases of militant lesbian intensity. <laughs> Not shaving my armpits, quoting Ani DeFranco lyrics as gospel. And depending on the bagginess of my cargo shorts and how recently I had shaved my head, the question would often be sprung on me, usually by a little kid. Um, are you a boy or are you a girl? And there would be an awkward silence at the table. I'd clench my jaw a little tighter, hold my coffee pot with a little more vengeance. The dad would awkwardly shuffle his newspaper and the mom would shoot a chilling stare at her kid. But I would say nothing, and I would seethe inside. And it got to the point that every time I walked up to a table that had a kid anywhere between three and ten years old, I was ready to fight. <laughs> And that is a terrible feeling. So I promised myself the next time I would say something, I would have that hard conversation. So within a matter of weeks, it happens again. Are you a boy or are you a girl? Familiar silence, but this time I'm ready. And I am about to go all Women's Studies 101 on this table. I've got my Betty Friedan quotes. I've got my Gloria Steinem quotes. I even got this little bit from Vagina Monologues I'm going to do. So I take a deep breath, and I look down, 
And staring back at me is a four-year-old girl in a pink dress. Not a challenge to a feminist duel, just a kid with a question. Are you a boy or are you a girl? So I take another deep breath, squat down next to her and say, hey, I I know it's kind of confusing. My hair is short like a boy's and I wear boy's clothes, but I'm a girl. And you know how sometimes you like to wear a pink dress and sometimes you like to wear your comfy jammies? Well, I'm more of a comfy jammies kind of girl. And this kid looks me dead in the eye without missing a beat and says, my favorite pajamas are purple with fish. Can I get a pancake, please? (laughs) And that was it. Just, oh, okay, you're a girl. How about that pancake? It was the easiest hard conversation I have ever had. And why? Because Pancake Girl and I, we were both real with each other. So like many of us, I've lived in a few closets in my life, and yeah, most often, my walls happen to be rainbow. But inside, in the dark, you can't tell what color the walls are. You just know what it feels like to live in a closet. So really, my closet is no different than yours, or yours, or yours. Sure, I'll give you a hundred reasons why coming out of my closet was harder than coming out of yours, but here's the thing. Hard is not relative. Hard is hard. Who can tell me that explaining to someone you just declared bankruptcy is harder than telling someone you just cheated on them. Who can tell me that his coming out story is harder than telling your five-year-old you're getting a divorce? There is no harder. There is just hard. We need to stop ranking our heart against everyone else's heart to make us feel better or worse about our closets and just commiserate on the fact that we all have heart. At some point in our lives, we all live in closets, and they may feel safe or at least safer than what lies on the other side of that door. But I am here to tell you, no matter what your walls are made of, a closet is no place for a person to live. Thanks. So why is coming out of any closet, why is having that conversation, why is it so hard? Because they're stressful. We're so concerned about the reaction of the other person, and understandably, will they be angry, sad, disappointed? Will we lose a friend, a parent, a lover? These conversations cause stress. So let's geek out on stress for a minute. Stress is a natural reaction in your body. When you encounter a perceived threat, keyword perceived, your hypothalamus sounds the alarm and adrenaline and cortisol start coursing through your veins. This is known as fight or flight. Sometimes you rumble, sometimes you run, and this is a totally normal reaction and comes from a time when that threat was being chased by a woolly mammoth. The problem is, your hypothalamus has no idea if you're being chased by a woolly mammoth, or if your computer just crashed, or if your in-laws just showed up on your doorstep, or if you're about to jump out of a plane, or you need to tell someone you love that you have a brain tumor. The difference is, the woolly mammoth chases you for, what, maybe 10 minutes? Not having those hard conversations, that can go on for years, and your body just can't handle that. Chronic exposure to adrenaline and cortisol disrupt almost every system in your body and can lead to anxiety, depression, heart disease, just to name a few. When you do not have hard conversations, when you keep the truth about yourself a secret, you are essentially holding a grenade. So imagine yourself 20 years ago. Me, I had a ponytail, a strapless dress, and high-heeled shoes. I was not the militant lesbian ready to fight any four-year-old that walked into the cafe. 
I was frozen by fear, curled up in the corner of my pitch black closet, clutching my gay grenade. And moving one muscle is the scariest thing I have ever done. My family, my friends, complete strangers, I had spent my entire life trying to not disappoint these people. And now, I was turning the world upside down. On purpose. I was burning the pages of the script we had all followed for so long. But if you do not throw that grenade, it will kill you. One of my most memorable grenade tosses was at my sister's wedding. It was the first time that many in attendance knew I was gay. So in doing my maid of honor duties in my black dress and heels, I walked around to tables and finally landed on a table of my parents' friends, folks that had known me for years. And after a little small talk, one of the women shouted out, I love Nathan Lane. And the battle of gay relatability had begun. Ash, have you ever been to the Castro? Well, yeah, actually, we have friends in San Francisco. Well, we've never been there, but we heard it's fabulous. Ash, do you know my hairdresser, Antonio? He's really good, and he has never talked about a girlfriend. Ash, what's your favorite TV show? Our favorite TV show? Favorite, Will and Grace. And you know who we love? Jack. Jack is our favorite. And then one woman, stumped, but wanting so desperately to show her support, to let me know she was on my side, she finally blurted out, well, sometimes my husband wears pink shirts. And I had a choice in that moment, as all grenade throwers do. I could go back to my girlfriend at my gay-loving table and mock their responses, chastise their unworldliness and their inability to jump through the politically correct gay hoops I had brought with me, or I could empathize with them and realize that that was maybe one of the hardest things that they had ever done, that starting and having that conversation was them coming out of their closets. Sure, it would have been easy to point out where they fell short, It's a lot harder to meet them where they are and acknowledge the fact that they were trying and what else can you ask someone to do but try. If you're going to be real with someone, you got to be ready for real in return. So hard conversations are still not my strong suit. Ask anybody I have ever dated. But I'm getting better. And I follow what I like to call the three pancake girl principles. Now, please, view this through gay-colored lenses, but no. What it takes to come out of any closet is essentially the same. Number one, be authentic. Take the armor off. Be yourself. That kid in the cafe had no armor, but I was ready for battle. Stupid hypothalamus. If you want someone to be real with you, they need to know that you bleed too. Number two, be direct. Just say it. Rip the Band-Aid off. If you know you are gay, just say it. If you tell your parents you might be gay, they will hold out hope that this will change. Do not give them that sense of false hope. (laughs) And number three, and most important, (laughs) be unapologetic. You are speaking your truth. Never apologize for that. And some folks may have gotten hurt along the way. So sure, apologize for what you've done but never apologize for who you are. And yeah, some folks may be disappointed, but that is on them, not on you. Those are their expectations of who you are, not yours. That is their story, not yours. The only story that matters is the one that you want to write. So the next time you find yourself in a pitch black closet clutching your grenade, know we have all been there before. 
And you may feel so very alone, but you are not. And we know it's hard, but we need you out here, no matter what your walls are made of. Because I guarantee you there are others peering through the keyhole of their closets looking for the next brave soul to bust a door open, so be that person. And show the world that we are bigger than our closets and that a closet is no place for a person to truly live. Thank you, Boulder. Enjoy your night. LA Talk Radio and all podcasting platforms. This is Max and Friends. I'm Max Tucci. That was Ash Beckham. I know you all love her because I love her. And you know what? Go get her book. Speaking of writing a story, step up. How to Live with Courage and Become an Everyday Leader by Ash Beckham. So, you know, here's the story. What closet are you living in right now? And is it really a place you want to be? Well, let me tell you, we all heard it gets better. And I'm here to tell you, I know for sure it does just because of my experience of who I am and who the authentic Max Tucci really is. And um, I encourage you to really look in the mirror at yourself and ask yourself your name. Who am I? You don't need to know what you want to do, but you would need to know more or less who are you? What brings you joy? What brings you happiness? Who brings you joy and who brings you happiness? And what person is it that really lights that flame inside of you to say, this is who I see myself with. It's okay to be you. It's okay to be you. So my next guest went through a journey of maybe not being okay who he was and um, went through maybe living in this closet where everyone was going to judge. We all do. And it's okay. It sucks while you're in it. But I promise you, once you bust that door open, you don't need to have rainbows and butterflies and glitter. Let's just get that out of the way. If that's not who you are, I promise you, though, when you bust that door open, the path ahead is one that is lit by the authenticity that shines through you. Welcome, I guess, Diano Sutter to Max and Friends. We have hey, to. Uh, hey, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me. I'm glad that you're here because, you know, as your bio reads, you're a gay Christian ex youth pastor who now speaks and coaches on both reconciliation between faith and sexuality, as well as becoming the best version of you. Before we get into the best version of you, take us down to the genesis of who you are and the beginning of your path and the steps that you took to becoming who you are now. I mean, that's so broad. Uh, that's <laughs> funny. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting journey because uh, I, I don't know what the average age of your demographic is, but for me, some of the most pivotal times in my life that led me to where I am now was in the eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was in high school and then also in college and um, in the late 80s, uh, basically, if you were gay, uh, it meant that you had AIDS. And if, um, and if you were gay, then you uh, had no worth. You were an abomination. Um, and in my school, uh, I grew up in Texas. In my school, people were literally getting beat up for the assumption that you were gay and being uh, hurled slurs and other things uh, about them trying to kill everybody by their existence. So it was, it was a really crazy time. Uh, I knew I was gay since I was four years old Mm -hmm. and, but I also knew it wasn't okay. I grew Mm -hmm. up in a religiously um, conservative household. And Mm -hmm. then we moved from Florida to Texas, which is obviously a conservative state. 
And um, it's funny when I, I finally came out to my mom, which wasn't until I was 34. When I finally came out to my mom uh, and she handled it really well, I asked her, I said, what do you think? Because I lost my father when I was 21. And I said, what do you think dad would have thought about me being gay? And she sat there for a moment. We were in, in the car. And she said, well, dad didn't really like the gays. And I said, yeah, yo, I, I knew that. I felt that. But what do, you, what do you think he would think now? And she said, well, you were definitely one of his favorites. There's three kids. So that's a general statement. Uh, <laughs> you were definitely one of his favorites. So um, I really believe that he loved you so much uh, that he would probably change his view. And wow. so that was obviously super powerful. But if you trace that back, in the 80s, uh, I had an older brother and sister. We used to have parties at our house every weekend. My parents were the parents that were like, if you're going to drink, mm-hmm. you drink at our house. That's <laughs> right. You're going to drink here. So put your keys in the bowl. Mm-hmm. You can have them in the morning. Everybody's spending the night, which I'm, I don't know if there's pregnancies or how many untold pregnancies happen. <laughs> um, but, uh, and it was, it was one of those things. And so we, we had a very, uh, amazing in that sense. I, I didn't drink in high school because I was terrified because when my dad would drink, uh, he became the storyteller mm-hmm. uh, and also kind of lost some of his ability to filter what's appropriate and un- inappropriate. Uh, and he would almost on cue every weekend give the AIDS talk. Mm. Again, this is at the height of AIDS or at least the awareness, right? AIDS mm-hmm. started in the early to mid 80s, but mm-hmm. by 88, 89, now we're starting to hear about it, but there's so mm-hmm. much ignorance. There's not information about it. Nobody knows. Mm-hmm. And so uh, my dad being super evolved, his talk would always go, you know, them AIDS ain't just about them gays. You guys can get it too. So you need to wrap it up because even though that disease might be coming for them, it can hit any of us. Mm-hmm. So the problem is I'm sitting there absorbing all of that we were already embarrassed of our parents as we were. And it was funny. Anytime he'd give the AIDS talk, literally there was a guy named Nelson who was a good friend of my brother's would run through the house. Wayne's giving the AIDS talk. Wayne's giving the AIDS. Like it was hilarious to everybody mm-hmm. except for me. So, except for you. Yeah. yeah. No, you know, it's really fascinating because I remember that whole generation too and growing up in it. And we had an aunt who owned a restaurant named Fedora in the village. So for her, she was, these were her patrons, these men, these gay men who were actually living with AIDS. And I remember another aunt that I had who was like bringing her own silverware to the restaurant because she didn't want to eat off of a fork because she thought she could get it, you know? And it's like, that's why, you know, I, I don't make light of the pandemic we're in now, but this is not the first pandemic we're in, especially for gay people. You know, they've been, we've been through a pandemic and um, it was, you know, it was an interesting um, observation seeing someone that fearful of eating off of a fork because other people with AIDS did. Well, and there was so much disinformation and so Mm -hmm. much at the time that people didn't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I I think that story is, doesn't stand alone, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everybody's had uh, experience with that. What's interesting is one of my clients is a CEO here in Mexico of, um, a blood pharma company. Mm-hmm. And um, so he does research and understands the research on blood and diseases and all this stuff. And he said, uh, and he's also a gay man, um, but he said with AIDS and people who actually uh, have um, AIDS, whether they're undetectable or not, mm-hmm. um, 
they're not getting coronavirus. So Mm -hmm. as a whole, the research shows that anybody who actually has HIV, some version of it, whether it's undetectable or not, um, isn't actually contracting uh, the thing. And the reason they think it is because the body has worked so hard and for so long fighting off all these other things Mm -hmm. that COVID's nothing. Right. AIDS is significant, but COVID is nothing to the body. So the body Mm -hmm. dismisses it and gets rid of it, which Mm -hmm. was fascinating because the fear was initially how would this complicate Right, more complicated for those who are living with HIV, and it turns yeah. out living with HIV, even undetectable, is a yeah, it's a bonus. You know, <laughs> it's, it's interesting. Good. It's interesting. I have a friend of mine named Bruce Richmond. I don't know if you know him or not, but he has U equals U, and um, it's a huge campaign about being you know undetectable um, means untransmittable, and he's gone all over the world discussing this. We had him on during you know in the in the think of the pandemic and these were questions that were arising that people who had it you know were on medications that boosted their t-cells that boosted this but you know there's so much into the science of of that but what's even you know more fascinating is that we're here to share the stories and to inspire people and to take the fear out of it i think fear is really what what scared so many people you know, more or less our age of coming out of the closet or accepting that, that there were parents that said, you know, gays are getting AIDS. There was a joke I remember hearing once there was a, um, a cu- we were at dinner one night and there was a couple of people and this, you know, in Connecticut, very hoity polloity, you know, like muffies and, and crickets, like, you know, that kind of a name. And the men all, you know, straight, but they wore twal and like, you know, plaid pants. And so she asked the waiter for um, a cappuccino and she said, you know, and he was a gay waiter. And she goes, after he walked away, we heard her. She goes, oh, he's a gay waiter. She goes, do you know what AIDS means? And everyone's like, what? And she's like, another infected dick sucker. And they were like, ah, ha, 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 the whole table. Oh. I shot this woman a look like, <laughs> because honey, I was like, your husband in his outfit is about two beers away from being gay. Right. So she didn't appreciate that. But these were the mentalities. And that bullying is what kept, I'm sure, you and me in the closet. So what was it that gave you the courage, even at four years old, to know that's who you were? But what gave you the courage to finally say to yourself, not coming out of the closet, but to yourself, like, this is who I am and I want to be with a guy? How old were you? Well, the first time I ever touched a guy was 30. Wow. So if that gives you framework, uh, when I was in high school. Okay, so let's pause there. So what took so long? Yeah, so I was waiting for the miracle to happen. So I was raised. So what, pray the gay away? (laughs) That's exactly it. I mean, significantly it. So I was in high school and uh, two things happened. Number one, um, I knew I was broken or I thought I was broken, right? Something Mm -hmm. had to be fixed. So my dad used to go to like Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and mm-hmm. bring home these cassettes and I would steal his cassettes. It also led me on the path to coaching. I would mm-hmm. steal his cassettes and listen to them tirelessly over and over and read books like How to Win Friends and Influence People and the mm-hmm. Seven Effective Habits or Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, mm-hmm. uh, which was great. And so I thought with that, plus with God, Catholicism, right. so I would... Definitely be, you know, um, going to confession every week. I I would never. Redeemed, redeemed, right? (laughs) Never articulate what my confession was about, my thoughts. Mm. Just I had impure thoughts. And then after I. So you protected yourself on top of it. You had to. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I was an altar boy too. So I grew up in the Catholic church. So I know all of what there is. And I also know that the priest was having an affair with the guy because it was all the talk of the town. So I was thinking to myself, well, if that priest is sleeping with a guy, why is it such a big deal if I want to, you know, so this is what was running through my head. So I get what you were going through. So now, you know, it's, it's wild when we look back and think about it. Well, luckily, my priests were not attractive at all, so there was no danger. <laughs> they were from overseas and um, had definitely did not they have... They didn't pique um, your interest, but someone no, in high school did. Yeah. Well, there. I mean, in high school and college, there was all my good friends. So this was... Um, I, I was never popular. I was never unpopular. I was just mm-hmm. always known because if there was parties happening at other schools, mm-hmm. I kind of... Um, had created this network of people who would just tell me where all the parties were. So people would come to me and say, where are the parties? Um, so I, I wasn't popular in the sense that everybody, you know, thought, Oh, Dino's the popular guy, but everybody knew me in general, everybody liked me, but you know, it was also this precarious balance because mm-hmm. even at my house, when we would have parties, people, there was definitely people who came who were friends with my sister or my brother who would go skinny dipping. And of course I'm going to look, um, but then if they catch you looking, then they bring it up, even though they may be joking about it to you. It was like social world collapsing. They discovered world. it. They discovered yeah. you. Yeah. yeah I'm so scared when majority of the people didn't think it. Now I will say one of my high school girlfriends, I came out to her probably like a decade ago. I don't know when I was going through the coming out process and she was coming to LA. She was single. Um, after me, the guy she dated after that, she actually had a child with. Uh, and so I, and her child is now beautiful and this wonderful, uh, girl who's now a woman, I guess. And then there's Paula. Well, what's so funny about Paula is when I finally told her was because she was coming, she was a lawyer successful mm-hmm. to LA and wanted to connect. And I was like, oh crap, uh, she's single. Is she going to think that there's a chick? So I just threw it out there. And of course it was on Facebook messenger. Like, yeah, let's hang out and stuff. Uh, I, I, I don't know if you know yet, but I'm gay, so maybe we can go to a gay bar. And her response was, finally. And I said, what? And she said, <laughs> you know, you kept giving me an excuse why you wouldn't touch me or do things with me because you were a good Catholic boy. Mm-hmm. So, like, literally there was times in the uh, in the pool where she would straddle me and, like, try mm-hmm. and make out with me and, like, all this stuff. And I'd be like, no, I'm a good Catholic boy. And so she said, I got pregnant by a good Catholic boy. I knew yeah. you were gay. I'm so happy you finally figured it out. And I was like, mm-hmm. what? Yeah. So, and of course I said, well, why didn't you tell me? And she was like, you weren't ready. And she you was weren't ready. ready. Yeah. You and know, that- and that's the beauty of it. It's like, when we're ready, we know. And I, for me personally, like I was bullied in school, but yet I was still popular. And then I was more popular with teachers than I was with students because I was going to like fashion week. So they all wanted tickets. And, you know, like I drove a really cool, like little Mercedes convertible. So they wanted to like borrow my car, you know, and the teachers were young too. And my class was small and I was all, I was always doing photography and always wearing black and Versace. And they were like, oh, you know, there's Max. And so instead of like coining me the fag, right, it was like, in the yearbook, the most unique. <laughs> oh, so that, was, that was the way for them to like acknowledge me because they liked me, but without right. outing me. And in, I mean, I had girlfriends in high school. I had a girlfriend and um, and it was funny because she was on the real world London. So people oh. knew who she was. And um, so they were like, oh, Max isn't gay. He dates the one from the real world. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> well, the way we leveraged girls was also the way I re- leveraged religion. 
Yeah. So Catholicism first. And then when I got to college, I became Protestant, right? Born mm-hmm. again. So now I didn't have to go through a priest. I could just go to God. Right. And uh, But but what's ironic about that is I'm actually really thankful. Mm-hmm. Because had I not uh, dove into Christianity the way I did, I mean, I dove head first, became a youth yeah. pastor, did all these other things. Uh, because again, the solution was coming. The, the miracle, um, it did prevent me from uh, the mid-90s and early 2000s from engaging mm-hmm. in sexual promiscuity during a time when they had no solution for you and me both. Yeah. You so and me both. It was this gift. Uh, and also, by the way, it gave me really strong foundations in who I wanted to be because mm-hmm. I had a really great example in Jesus because as, as hypocritical and pharisaical as the church could be, mm-hmm. you could always look back to him and go, man, that guy was a man. Yeah, that guy always lived by his word. He loved people. He didn't care where they came from. He mm-hmm. always exercised grace and was always uplifting. If I could just be an ounce of that, of that, so so that was yeah. the gift. Um, the come to Jesus talk happened. I left because uh, when I was a youth pastor, I started gaining some notoriety and fame because I was applying my master's and business principles. We were growing our youth ministry. I was speaking on a weekly basis and people were starting to ask me to speak regionally. Mm-hmm. And the more people who knew me, the more the cage was getting tighter and tighter because wow. Texas is a yeah, small yeah. knit. And yeah. you, one person, like I would have people pray over me in tongues, anoint me with mm-hmm. oil, like you name it. And when they were doing this, they would always ask, what do you want? And I said, well, God knows. Right. Because I knew one person knew and just game over of their heart wanted to share with one other person all of a yep. sudden my financial life everything my, uh, personal life my social life my everything my career collapses yeah so you um, were protecting the cornerstone you were protecting the cornerstone no i know because you know what i was doing that too and i remember though i ended up going to a gay club at one point and i remember there was a stripper and i was like he's so hot and then i like kind of hooked up with the stripper and i'm sharing this on air for the first time so you know, I'm fine. I have the courage to be disliked, everyone. So whatever. Um, but so and I remember the next day I went to I went to this black church in Connecticut and I was like the only white kid there. And I was like the pastor's wife and I were cool. And I didn't tell her it was a guy, but I said I was with a stripper and I didn't feel right. And so they were like going to pray with me. And then she was like, you need to be baptized and born again. I was like, let's do it. So I was like, dunk me in the river, (laughs) pull me out and let it wash away everything. And I thought that in that moment when I came out of that, you know, of that river, let's call it, um, that everything would be left behind like they said it was. And my soul was so exhausted just from being lifted out of the water. It felt relieved and exhausted. It felt relieved because I had a relationship with God, but it felt exhausted because who I am wasn't authentic to how I was living. And so I was exhausted for quite some time. And so I understand exactly how you went through this. And then it was like the church, especially you know, the black church in Connecticut, I was driving like 20 something years old. I had a Bentley. I was over the top. And the church was like, oh, have him come to the church. We'll get money out of him. And I heard them say that. So I was like, oh, I said, but if they knew I was with guys, they wouldn't want to get the money out of me. And a friend of mine said they wouldn't care because half of the choir directors are doing the same thing. And I was like, wow. (laughs) Wow. And I never technically came out of the closet. It was never like, hi, I'm gay. Here I am. It was, 
when people ask me and the same question goes to you, what did you say? For me, it was always whoever I'm attracted to, that's who I'm going to be with. And that was my safety. And one friend of mine, my friend, Audrey Rell's son, we were in a room and he was trying to figure me out. And this is, I think, the best approach that I've ever been asked if I was gay without asking, are you gay? Was we were in a big restaurant and he said, who in here do you find attractive? Mark. And I began to sweat. I was like, I have to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. And I was like, in the bathroom, do I leave? Do I stay? How do I respond? And I came back to the table. I was like, nobody. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> so, um, you know, there was always that. And then, you know, that's just some of my story. But why I'm grateful you're here, Dino, is because you have your story and we all have our stories. And we're sharing our stories to inspire those that are listening who might be in the church and feel like I have no way to go. What do you say to those kids who are in that position now who don't have a quote unquote place to go? What do you say? Yeah, that's a valid question. When I so when I first started coming out and telling people, uh, you know, Jay Rodriguez from uh, yeah, of Queer course. Straight. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's one of many that came to me and said, hey, listen, I used to be in the church, uh, mm. but I have a good friend who's still in it, who's mm. uh, working in youth ministry, who's leading, who is definitely, who's come out to me, but needs advice. So I started giving advice to everyone. And one of the things I always said is, you know, so I have friends who range. Some friends still think it's sin. And and mind you, my contemporaries are now leaders of massive churches all over Texas, uh, all over the country are associated with some of the biggest names possible are musicians that wrote half the worship songs and uh, we're still friends. And mm-hmm. if they're going to preach or do anything, they come to me and they ask me, how do I reach? Uh, how do I reach my congregation while being authentic, while being thoughtful, but while also protecting anybody who might be triggered by the things I might want to say, how do I navigate that? So with anybody who's still struggling with it, I say, do your research. The reason why I struggled with it for so long is because I didn't do my research. Mm-hmm. I studied literally scripture. I knew thousands of scriptures. Mm-hmm. None of them dealt with sexuality or homosexuality <laughs> because I was terrified of what I would find out. And mm-hmm. that fear was the, uh, was the block, was mm-hmm. the wall between me and freedom. And mm-hmm. the understanding and acknowledging that most of the places in scripture that deal with homosexuality are dealing with homosexual offenders. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm not a pedophile. Mm-hmm. I'm not somebody who rapes people. Most mm-hmm. of the time it's dealing with that. In fact, the, the clearest and most um, authentic way I think uh, homosexuality, present day homosexuality, is represented in scriptures is Matthew 19, 12, mm-hmm. where he says, uh, and Jesus says, some were born that way and mm-hmm. some were made that way. Now, mm-hmm. our understanding of eunuchs, which is mm-hmm. what he was referring to at the time, a eunuch was somebody who had their balls cut off. Right. right? But if you think about what eunuchs did. Eunuchs were put over the, um, uh, the what do you call it? The, um, why can I not think of the name? The, all the, the brides and, of, of the king. What's it called? The brides uh, and the king. The what? Why were you, uh, I'm lost with the word. <laughs> yeah, so, so basically, oh my gosh, I know this word too. So they would be put over that. So why would you put a man who has only been emasculated by his balls cut off, which means he could still have sexual desires for women. He just can't procreate to make their hair pretty and make them look good. What's the most natural person you could think of to put over the harem? Harem. 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 Yes. (laughs) Who's the most naturally gifted for the harem? Mm -hmm. It's going to be the gay man. It's going to be Mm -hmm. the guy who knows how to make them smell good, look good, and is never going to touch them and -hmm. gives them wise advice how not to piss off the king. Mm -hmm. Who's the best at giving advice to girls? 
mm-hmm. gay men. So it's funny that that is it. And it says some were born that way and some were made that way. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. how many people do you know who were born without balls today? Mm-hmm. So then think about with the lack of information they had back then, mm-hmm. it doesn't equate. So obviously that was a reference to sexuality. Right. And, and then if we go further back though to Greek, you know, it didn't even matter. You know, they all had lovers. So religion yep. does play a huge part in keeping people closeted. And what's interesting too about religion is, you know, I always love the joke when people are like, oh, how can you be Christian and gay? I'm like, at the end of the day, Jesus hung out with 12 men. Remember that. <laughs> and it pisses people off so much that they're like, how dare you? I'm like, I didn't say anything else. I just said it. he went to the top of the mountain to meditate and pray. And sometimes there were 12 men. And I said, and then when the cock crowed on the third day. So, you know, there's certain things where I get people all riled up because for me, it's all a personal relationship that you have with God. You know, Mother yeah. Teresa once said, in the end, it's between you and God anyway. You know, so yeah. who are we to judge? And then I read this uh, Japanese philosophy, the courage to be disliked. And really by reading the courage to be disliked, it means being who you are. And it's okay if people don't like you. So I want to talk to you about um, what led you to your current career in coaching and speaking, because, you know, the illusion of time is upon us. And I want to really get into why do you coach? You know, what inspired you to coach and where can people find you when coaching? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. So the journey has been long. It started obviously in the teens with Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and Wayne Dyer uh, and has led to today. But I also much to like the fear to admit my sexuality there was a fear to pursue my passion. And uh, when I went into youth ministry, the whole reason I did it was because I just wanted to help change lives. I wanted to help equip and empower youth to know how to process their emotions and the thought lives that they had and come out in an uplifting and empowering situation. So, so what really, are some of those ways? For someone who's listening right now, what are some of those? What would you tell the child who right now is in the closet, figuratively and literally, and... Well, contemplating suicide, it's either life or death. If I don't figure out what I'm going to do, what do you tell that kid right now who's listening? Well, so I I think you have to frame it. You Mm -hmm. have to understand that your brain is a supercomputer. So whatever you feed it with words and thoughts, it's going to produce that. That program that's running is Mm -hmm. going to have an end result. So just like a computer, you can feed it a virus or an operating system. The computer doesn't know the difference. It Mm. only runs what you feed it. So the reason why you're having these feelings is because you're feeding it with the wrong programs. So Mm. you need to change your words and you need to change your thoughts. And the best way to change your thoughts is start to read other material. Mm -hmm. The Bible is amazing. Look at the core elements and tenets of what Jesus said, but at the same time, also look for mental thought leaders and the evidence that they're giving you. And like the book you just uh, mentioned uh, Mm -hmm. by Ash Beckham, I think like that book sounds amazing. uh, And especially if it deals with her journey, go read other people's journeys and know that you're trying to solve uh, a temporary issue, which is the world you live in, which is a very microscopic bubble with a permanent solution. And you don't want to do that. So instead, what you want to do is you want to start to pay attention. And by the way, you're not alone. Yeah. I deal with so many, I've helped so many people come out from kids to adults, like showrunners who Mm -hmm. you would know. Um, I've helped them in the coming out process. And the part of that um, is because everybody goes through the exact same steps in the coming out process. It's the shame. It's the guilt. It's Mm -hmm. that I won't be accepted, that people will stop loving me, that I've lied to people all my life. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, you have to remember when you share with people your truth, you've had 10, 20, 30, 50 years to process it. Mm -hmm. They're having 30 seconds. So give a lot of grace, 
mm-hmm. allow them to form their own opinions, mm-hmm. but just tell them that you love them, that you're the same, and that this is who you are. And if you yeah, also okay. tell them, and I tell people this in the Christian world, if you tell like your parents, it's okay if they don't think it's okay, they just need to know you're the same person, mm-hmm. then they don't feel like they have to say it. Instead, yeah. they can now process understanding that they don't have to be in control of that. Yeah. You know what I love when you said grace? Because the other day I heard uh, we were doing a show and the woman said, um, give someone the grace to have a bad day. You know, and parents are going to have a bad day, but give them. And so I went off to say, give them the grace and the space to have the bad Mm -hmm. day. You know, and also if people don't like you, here's my, the beauty and what I've learned over that. It's okay because what you're doing by them going their way and you going your way is that you're opening up the space to allow people in who will love you. And for me, it's all about, I'd rather be in a group of people who love me than people who like me or don't like me, you know, because I'm a loving person. Yeah. The only caveat with that is when you're in high school, it feels very limited. Oh yeah. And your parents, you're going to have them forever. Yeah. So the, the the deal with your parents is if you give them the space and the grace, like mm-hmm. you said, uh, then and the time to process it. Remember, they're dealing with programming mm-hmm. from 40 and 50 and 60 of years. Think it's wrong. So yeah. allow them to start to introduce new programming, do their yeah. research, get educated, because over time, their love is going to outweigh their judgment. And the only hopefully, hopefully. You know, hopefully, because there's a lot of parents that I know from kids who are listening from experience that their parents have disowned them. And, you know, and that's okay. You know, it's okay. It's one thing, but for the majority of parents, what happens is that they they do need the time to start to to transition Mm -hmm. the way that they think. Because remember, their minds are supercomputers and they've been running the program. And a lot of times what they're expressing to you is out of fear Mm -hmm. because they had an image of who you would be. Mm-hmm. And what your life would be when you grew up. And now mm. all their dreams for you that were all positive to them is collapsing and unfolding. And to be honest, right. when I first started, said the words out loud, I'm gay. I had to come to terms with all the dreams that had been placed on me and mm-hmm. that I had placed on me aren't necessarily going to become a reality. Now, things have changed. I can still have kids. I can get married. I can do those things right. now. But back then I couldn't. So for right. your parents, they may not understand that. And mm-hmm. so they just need the time and the space to process through mm-hmm. and also offer up that they can ask you any questions yeah. that they want. Be available. Yeah. yeah, be available. You know, and again, it's all patterns and pathologies. And when a pattern of pathology is disrupted, we have to do our work then to reintroduce the new pattern, the new pathology. You know, it's all, our mind is a beautiful thing. It really is. It's an amazing how our mind works and what's received and what's rejected. But I'm glad that you um, you received our invitations to join me here on Max and Friends. Um, you have to come back. You have to come back because it's definitely a conversation that we need to expand upon. And I would love to have Ash Beckham here too. Um, you know, we put this together quickly and I'll, I'll share with you why. Well, um, one of my best friends is actually dying. And um, we did a show last week about grief and death. And for me, it's, you know, I'm okay with it. It's cool. But we had to get a show done for this Sunday and they were like, you know, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, well, I want to talk about, you know, coming out and the journey. And then I saw your post and I was like, you know, what you're looking for is looking for you. And so I wanted to, um, you know, just my friend Jackie, and she was one person who, when I was coming out, she was like, gave me a list of eligible guys. <laughs> She's like, I want you to be with him, 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 or him. <laughs> you know, so um, there was a beautiful process and a beautiful friendship. But um, 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a sad moment today. We're pre-recording the show, so for you who are listening, it's really not Sunday. It's I think Thursday, and she's literally like uh, everyone is gathered to to be with her, and um, you know it's a process of grief. So tune into last week's show if you want to learn about grief and if you want to learn about death. It's to me, it's a beautiful thing. It's a transition of we're all just walking each other home. So um, we're gonna play a song here now. But before we do that, where can our listeners find you and how can they get in contact with you? Uh, thank you. So uh, on Instagram, it's just Dino Sutter, D-E-A-N-O-S-U-T-T-E-R. It's mm-hmm. also, I have a Facebook page. I'm building out a TikTok. Okay. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but Instagram is the best way to, to contact me uh, cool. about all the things that um, I do. And I wanted to just say one other thing, if I can. I know we're yeah, no, of course. Yeah. So the... The one thing I said, I, I kept looking for um, the solution, the miracle to happen. And what I realized over time was that the solution I was looking for wasn't to my homosexuality, mm-hmm. but it was to my self-worth. Yeah. And so I think that is the key uh, message that I want to get across today as well, is that the key you're looking for isn't to this one specific issue. It's probably to your self-worth and you need to go inward and start building that up. Yeah. What do you want people to take with them into this week? Oh, I, that anything is possible. This life is magical and uh, it's as magical as you'll make it. So make the magic happen. It is, you know, and I'm a true believer that what you can believe, what you can create in your mind, you can create in your reality. And so if you have that image of your life being a beautiful thing, whether it's with a woman or a man or whoever you want it to be, if you can create it in your mind, you can create it in your reality and you can do it. It's possible. I love you all for listening. Um, what I wanted to mention also And my thoughts, there's just so many because I want to continue. Like, I wish we had a whole nother hour, but that's how it works. You'll come back. We did a show about self-worth. And what I know about self-worth is that there's a beautiful song from The Color Purple that says, I came into this world with God, but when I finally look inside, I found him. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, sometimes we need to look in the mirror and be the change we want to see and know that who you are is exactly who you're supposed to be and that where you are in this exact moment is exactly where you're supposed to be. We love you for tuning in. You know, I call you at the top of the show. There's like the Italian in me. That's like Diano. Everybody does it. Everybody does. So Dino, Diano, I appreciate you. I honor you. I respect you. I bow to you. And thank you for being authentic and true. You know, we need that, especially in a community where authenticity is so it's, you know, just because there's clouds in the sky doesn't mean that the sun isn't shining. And so, you know, you're shining through those clouds and I'm, I'm grateful that you, you accepted your calling and that you're able to share your story. So thank you for that. Thank you. All right. We've got to wrap this up. Ronan, thank you for the extra two minutes. So before I mentioned, Dino, you're going to come back. We'll definitely, we'll, we'll reach out. We'll make it happen. I'll talk to you after the show. But until then, I've got to wrap this up. I love you all for tuning in. And really, I want you to remember that, like Dino said, self-worth, love yourself, love yourself. Look in the mirror and tell yourself, I love you. Because sometimes those are the only words you're going to hear from yourself before others. So love yourself more than ever. Um, and for my friend, Jackie, you, I love you, you know, and when they put me on the phone with you today, you weren't able to speak, but I said to you, I love you and enjoy the journey and come to me in my dreams. Let me know what it's all about. And if you have someone, you know, who's dying right now, cause I think there's so many people that it seems like they are um, be available for them in silence. Sometimes you don't have to speak. Just be present with them and 
tell them to enjoy the journey because that's what we're all here doing is enjoying the journey. Until I we talk again, I love you all for tuning in. I'm going to go and cry now because that's part of grief. So until then, we're going to play a song for Jackie here right now. And it's a beautiful remix from a couple friends of mine. So it's an old song from back in the day with Dion Warwick called That's What Friends Are For. I love you for tuning in. I'll talk to you all after the show. If you want to reach me at Max Tucci on Twitter and Instagram, good night and good karma. And remember to take life to the max. I'm your host, Max Tucci for Max and Friends. Never thought I'd feel this way And as far as I'm concerned I'm glad I got the chance to say That I do believe I'd love you And if I should ever go away Close your eyes and try to feel the way Remember, remember to keep smiling, keep shining, knowing you can always count on me, for sure, that's what friends are for.